help feed the hungry, uh, restock the food bank. Um, this month, I believe Eastside is uh, in charge of helping with the food bank. Um, and so we are in need of some help to do that. Um, not to go eat the food bank, but to work the food bank. Um, so I, nobody told me to contact person on that, so I'm gonna do what I do so well. I'll say, if you'll see Ms. Joellen, uh, she'll be able to help you uh, with any of those, uh, any information. Uh, we do need some people uh, to do that. And not only help work it, but also um, there's gonna be uh, a push to, to raise food and to bring food to help restock it. So um, if you've got some good cans of food in your cabinet, uh, and want to bring them. Uh, don't bring the ones that have been sitting back in the back for like a year and a half that you haven't touched. Bring like some good ones that people want to eat uh, or go to the store and buy some. That would be amazing. Um, and then we've got a Daughter of the King Music Camp, uh, July 27th through the 30th, um, from 5.30 to 8. Uh, it'll be in the choir room here at the church, uh, girls ages 3rd through 8. I'll bring some friends. There's a sign-up sheet, I believe, in the back. Um, if you have any questions, uh, see Ms. Elena Waters. And also today, uh, we have the privilege of having Brother Freddie Gardner and his wife with us. Brother Freddie is the um, new director of missions uh, for um, the Tattle Evans Association. In newly June, July? June was his, uh, when he took the position. So um, we're glad to have him here. If you have a few moments, uh, come by and uh, welcome them. And uh, he'll be bringing uh, the message from God's Word today. And I'll let him uh, handle his, um, tell you a little bit about, his, about himself um, and how he got to this point. Um, but also, um, as we pray in just a minute, um, really, Brother Freddie, his mother passed away uh, last week, this week, Tuesday. Um, so we definitely want to be in prayer for him. And thank you for being here with us today. Um, so uh, we're going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to take a few minutes to greet those around just for a short little uh, time and come back and, and worship with us. But let's pray. So Lord, we love you. Um, we thank you for the opportunity that we have just to uh, really worship you. We thank you for the love that you give us. Uh, we thank you for the price uh, that you paid on the cross. Uh, to give us the freedom just to come and just to bow at your feet, um, just to, to sit at your table. And today as we're here, I pray that we would just be fed um, spiritually. Uh, Lord, you know uh, the need. You molded us. You created us. You know our needs, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, meet us here today and fill us uh, where we need to be filled. Lord, I pray um, that for those that are hurting, uh, that they'll find uh, healing to those that are restless and they'll find peace um, here today. And I pray that uh, most of all um, that you would be honored and that you would be glorified in this place today. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand agree those around you. And we'll get back out.
love you. And we thank you that although we are prone to wonder, although we are prone to want to do what we want to do, I'm prone to do what Matt Tucker wants to do, dear Lord, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. That once we are in your hand, we are in your hand and nothing can remove us. Lord, I just thank you for the peace and the uh, security that comes from that, um, but also the, uh, the desire that comes from that just to please you and just to do what you have us to do, Lord, because, not because we have to, but because we love you. Lord, I pray that um, that desire in all of us would grow, uh, even as we sit here today um, and we open up your word. I pray that it would challenge us just to love you more um, and thus... Oh, we would have the desire to serve you more, just to share you more, just to rest in you more. Um, Lord, I pray that um, our worship today would be pleasing uh, to you. I pray that our worship through our giving of our tithes and offerings uh, would honor you. I pray that our worship through the rest of the songs and through Brother Freddie opening your word uh, would be pleasing uh, in your sight. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to just to be still today, just to try to cast aside everything that is going on in life. Life is full of good things, but life is full of distractions. I pray that we put those aside today and focus um, completely on you. Um, first of all, because you're able to handle everything that we've got. And second of all, because you're worthy um, of us stopping and just resting at your feet and worshiping you. Uh, we just love you. Uh, we praise you. You're most holy name I pray. Amen.
He's a sweetheart, laughs and goes to screaming that quick. But we love our grandbabies. Been in ministry now for about 25 years. I started off as a youth pastor with Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, then we moved to Union, South Carolina. It's that First Baptist Church, Union, South Carolina. Every one of you have heard of that church and they just not recognize it. Susan Smith, the one that drowned her babies in the car, she confessed to killing those babies at First Baptist Union, South Carolina. We spent uh, several years there, been back to Georgia where I went to seminary at New Orleans Seminary. And uh, then the uh, Lord just closed the door to the children's ministry and called me into pastoral ministry. And I have been preaching now for about 11 years. I was in Blackshear, and then most recently we were at First Baptist Rockston, Georgia. And it's been amazing uh, how the Lord brought us to this association. We were absolutely convinced it was a thing of the Lord and the speed that it happened. Uh, from the first contact until the, the executive committee voted me to be your associational missionary was less than two months. And when God does something like that, you know it's directly from God and we're exactly where we're supposed to be serving the Lord, where we're supposed to be serving. And that's among you folks. And uh, we're excited about what the Lord is going to do. I have no agendas, folks. I didn't come in this association with any agenda of anything that I want to accomplish. It's what you as churches in this association want to come together and do. So with that said, let's look at Luke chapter 6. As I was invited, I've been, uh, one of the things folks ask me, how's it going? I've been here just over a month. And uh, what we have experienced has been phenomenal. I've been in 18 different churches. I have preached six different times in less than a month. Or just over a month. Been received tremendously. We've had a great reception. But as I was invited to preach the first time in the association, by nature I have preached through books of the Bible. Take a book and start and preach through it. So I was a little concerned. Lord, how am I going to approach coming into these churches and preaching? Now we're driving. We're living in Collins. Uh, the great folks at First Baptist Collins off of their pastoral force, and we're staying there. And I was driving from Collins to Claxton one morning, knew I had to pick up with a sermon for that Sunday, and I was praying, Lord, what am I going to preach? And the Lord just raised it on my heart, you preach two books of the Bible. So that's what I'm doing. I continue on. I started preaching through the book of Luke at, at Broxton, and I'm just preaching each week, just right along through the books. I, uh, and so here we are, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. Now I'm fascinated with words. Words can be confusing, however. For instance, you drive on the parkway, but you park on the driveway. There's no egg in eggplant. By the way, there's no ham in hamburger. Quicksand is actually pretty slow. Boxing rings are usually square or always square. You recite a play, but you play at recital. Your nose runs, but your feet smell. <laughs> Have been this to us? Why is the word abbreviated so long? Why did they call the building, call it a building if it's already built? Why is the word phonetic spelled like it, why is it spelled, phonetic spelled like it sounds? And who decided to name the building where an airplane leads from a terminal? 
<laughs> English muffins aren't from England. French fries didn't come from France, and Caesar salad was invented in Mexico. A guinea pig is neither from guinea nor is it a pig. And why is it that writers write but fingers don't think? And grocers don't gross. And hammers don't ham. If the plural of tooth is teeth, why is it the plural of booth beef? One goose, two geese. So is it one moose and two meese? After you teach, you have taught. So does it mean that after I preach, I have taught? <laughs> Words can be confusing. However, there's nothing confusing about what Jesus had to say. He used simple words and simple stories to teach people. These stories he employed are called parables. And in this chapter of the Lord, this is uh, similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, this is literally in chapter 6 of Luke, the Sermon on the Plain. He's with his disciple and he's going through these things and he comes to these parables. And there's a couple things that we need to understand every time we study a parable. Number one is just as there's a parable in every miracle of Jesus, there's a miracle in every parable. The miracle is that even though the parable is simple, easy to understand, it has profound implications and truth for each one of us. And secondly, we need to remember that studying a parable is like peeling an onion. There are several layers of truth to be studied and obeyed. The parable we have before us today is about a fruit tree. If you'll notice the two before, you can go back and read those at some time, the two parables before, were kind of little humorous stories that the Lord used to tell some very profound truths. Now we're fortunate in this parable this morning because the Lord Jesus tells us in this parable exactly what he's trying to tell the disciples. Before we read the text, consider the title of this message. Can you hear fruit? Can you hear fruit? We have five senses and we generally can use four of the five senses to recognize fruit. For instance, if I have a, had a banana in front of me, I can tell it's a banana by looking at it. Sight. That's the sense of sight. If you blindfold me, I can feel it. That's touch. And identify it. If you blindfolded me and tied my hands behind my back, I could smell it. And I could smell that it's a banana. If you blindfolded me, tied me up, and held my nose, I could still taste it and say, this is a banana. But hear it? Come on, does a banana make any noise? That little banana's going to say, oh, please don't eat me. So here, Now, while it is true, you can't hear fruit that grows on trees, we're going to learn the very best way to identify fruit coming from people is to listen. I hear your fruit, and you hear my fruit. This will make all sense as we study through Luke chapter 6. And I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God which we read through Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43. And the word of the Lord reads, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. 
For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, and nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, as we had to spend the next few moments looking to these three verses, Lord, will you teach us, Holy Spirit, stirring among us, and teach us what it means to be people that bear good fruit. Lord, we want to be fruit bearers for you. So as we study together, may we learn and apply it to our lives. We in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Please be seated. In this message, I want us to examine three words that Jesus uses to teach us something about ourselves. The first one is this, fruit. Fruit is the outward expression of the inner nature. Fruit is what comes out from us. It's what we grow. It's what we bear. It's what we produce. It comes from the inner nature of who we are. Have you ever stopped to consider what fruit is? Fruit doesn't grow by itself, does it? It has to have a tree or a bush. Fruit is actually the outward expression of the inner nature. It's true of both plants and of people. I once thought I was cutting down the hoop tree for firewood only to discover that it was a sweet gum. Have you ever tried to burn a sweet gum? <laughs> it's the worst firewood in the world. You put it on a fire, if it's hot enough, it'll light. It starts popping and sparks out everywhere. And I tell you, I can walk out the woods and I can't hardly tell the difference between the oak tree and the hickory tree. When I see a fruit in an apple, apple is hanging on its branch, I know that's an apple tree. When I see a pear tree and there's a nice luscious pear hanging on its branches, I know that it's a pear. When I see a bunch of bananas hanging from a tree, but actually banana trees are actually bushes. I can deduce that that's a banana tree or banana plant. Fruit is the outward expression of the inner nature of the truth. It's also true of people. In Matthew chapter uh, 7 verse 15, Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. By their fruit you will recognize them. Folks, we live in a day and a time when there are tons of false prophets. Amen. People come to you claiming any other thing but redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ or a false prophet. Amen. Let me tell you another one. These folks have come along and tried to put a date on when Jesus Christ is coming back and identify every one of them as false prophets because the Bible tells us that no one knows the day or the hour that the Lord is coming back. And he can come back in the next five minutes. That's his short. But it may be the next thousand years before he comes back. But those that proclaim that he's coming back at such and such date, they're false prophets. By the way, there is one proclaiming right now that the Lord will return before the inauguration in uh, January of 2017. Because they have deducted that the kings of the two kingdoms talked about in Revelation is Putin and Obama. Putin and Obama are the two kings of the kingdoms in the book of Revelation. So for Christ's return to happen, it's got to happen before Obama, President Obama, is no longer president of the country. That's how ridiculous some of this is. 
And we've got to be students of the Word of God to be able to know the fruit that these people are seeing. There are a lot of false prophets. Be careful. The Lord also talks of two kinds of people, good and evil. Of course, there are hundreds of categories in which we can, as people, can be placed racially, economically, educationally, rich men, poor men, beggar, uh, thief, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. We have hundreds of categories. But in God's estimation, there's only two categories. Good, evil. Saved, lost. Sheep, goat. All the same. Two categories. Good and evil. And we can be recognized by our fruit. A few years ago, seven inmates escaped from the maximum security prison in Texas. Over the next few weeks, they became known as the Texas Seven. You know how they were captured? They bought a used RV and camped out in a park in Colorado Springs. They told the owner and the other guests in the RV park that they were Christian missionaries out doing mission work. However, when the manager and the other residents observed their behavior, their fruit didn't match up to what they were saying. Their noisy drinking parties and excessive behavior caused the owner and some of the other customers to doubt their stories and they notified the authorities. They should have heeded the word of the prophets. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Now you may be confused and ask, I thought you couldn't uh, tell a book by its cover. That is an idea that is not active in Christian life. I don't know if you know that today in time, you know, my, when I came up, my generation, when I came through high school, most quoted Bible verse was John 3, 16. That is no longer true. The most quoted Bible verse, you walk on any school in this county, any school, this association, you will hear this verse quoted. If you're there longer than 30 minutes, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge. We hear it all the time, don't judge me. Not what that passage says. That, bad, that passage says is apply the judgment to yourself as you want to apply it to other people. It means you use God's standard to judge instead of our standard. But we are to exercise judgment. Those of you who are parents and grandparents, do you want your kids exercising judgment or not? Somebody pulls up and offers some piece of candy to get in the car with them. Don't you want them to judge? You want them to look at the fruit of the people around them and judge that person's fruit. We'll be told out by the fruit that we bear. A few years ago, I was talking to a man I really respected, and he was the kind of man who didn't say much to him. He spoke, he had something to say. You know those people? And I was asking him about a certain high visibility Christian who really seemed to be a go getter for the Lord. My friend who observed that man over a longer period of time just smiled and offered an expression I'd never heard before. He said this, Ah, he's all hat and no cattle. He's all sizzle and no steak. Your fruit is how you speak and you act. And nobody is around to Well, secondly, he uses the word in this passage, your heart. And the heart is your moral and spiritual control center. That's what controls who we are. Jesus says that some people have 
good stored up in their hearts and some have evil things stored up. The word heart is from the Greek and, and it's from the Greek word cardia from which we get our English word cardiac. This word heart is used 955 times in the Bible. In the Bible, cardia doesn't mean the fist-sized pump that's pumping in your chest, but it means the center of who we are, the control center of who we are. It could be called your mind or your personality. We still have that meaning when we talk about loving someone with all of our heart. Or when we say our heart really isn't in it. Or my heart is broken. But we need to understand when we talk about the heart, this control center of who we are, first we begin the bad heart. Every one of us. The Bible in Romans 3 tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did you hear about the doctor who told his patient you have a rare disease? The patient said, what's so rare about it? The doctor said, it's fully covered by your health now that's pretty weird, isn't it? But we have a problem too, a heart problem that isn't severe. The tendency of our hearts, the tendency of this flesh, of who we are, has a tendency to go after self, to ride for self. It's about me, me, me. I want this, I want that. I, I, I. And it's common to each one of us. When we were born, we inherited a tendency to sin. Have you ever noticed that you don't have to teach a little child how to lie to you? And when was the last time you, you had to teach one of them how to go uh, uh, be into something they're not supposed to be? This thing that we're going through is an ongoing sociological and physiological debate, secular humanists, for instance, teaches that a person is basically good. And that's what society around us is trying to teach us, that people are basically good. They're only a product of their environment. So if you change their environment, put them in a different environment that's good and wholesome and uplifting, that they'll be good people. That's the reason our culture now that anything goes because anyone can be good doing anything that they want to do. Is that what the scripture teaches? The Bible says we're born with a depraved tendency to sin. That we're going to satisfy the flesh every opportunity. So we have a heart problem. This is what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, searches the heart and examines the mind. The heart is deceitful of all things and beyond cure. Can it be stated any more clearly? In our natural state, our heart is wicked and deceitful. Your heart will even deceive you. It's called self-deception. If you're not a Christian at this moment, you're saying to yourself, he's wrong, I'm basically a good person at heart. Who's telling you that? Your wicked, sinful heart, or are you going to believe the Word of God? 
remember helping a woman, a battered woman, years ago in, a, in the church, and her husband was an alcoholic, and he was a mean drunk. And he beat his wife regularly. I can remember this dear woman weeping, even with the bruises, evidence on her cheek where he had beat her the night before, and she would cry out and say this. But Joe is a good man at heart. I had to say to her, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you're wrong. That's the problem. He's not a good man at heart. That's why he drinks and beats you. He has a heart problem. Oh, we say it another way. Here's one. Here's a famous quote from South Georgia. He's a good old boy. Yeah, but is he saved? There's still a mindset going around in our culture that if my goods outweigh my bad, I can go to heaven. Now, the only way you're going to get to go to heaven is by having a heart transplant. Good old boys, if they don't know Jesus Christ, are not going to heaven. I've heard of parents that talking about their rebellious teenagers and they would weep that their child has committed some crime of or, or, or something going on in their life that's just displeasing to mom and dad, and they'll say this, Johnny's a good old boy at heart. Well, now we'll get political. Well, let's go back to all that mess in Oklahoma. That boy that was killed by the police officer that just robbed his school. And everybody was talking about how good it was. It's not about business, it's about perfection. I'd be perfect. You see, you aren't a liar because you're lying, you lie because you're a liar. You aren't a thief because you steal, you steal because you're a thief. We inherited this terrible problem of sin. Like the verse of the old song, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, I'll take and seal it. Seal it for thy corpse above. You never become a Christian until you make this basic confession. I admit that I am a sinner. That's the beginning stage of becoming a Christian is committed to the Lord that you're a sinner and the sinner in need is forgiveness. Secondly, we need to understand about this heart. We can't prepare this old heart. We can't do better. We on our own way. And I've heard people say this, and you've heard this when you invite people to church. Well, when I get my life together, I'll come to church with I got some things I've got to clean up. Guess what? You can't do that. I know the one that can do it for you. But we can't cure ourselves. We can't get better. We need a heart transplant. Until the 20th century, people that we talked about taking someone's heart out of a, or a heart out of one body and putting it into another was things of science fiction. But it's been done thousands of times in the last century, or the last 30, 40 years. Do you know what salvation really is? It's when God comes in, takes out that old dirty, rotten heart, takes it, throws it away, and gives you a new heart that's filled with the Holy Spirit. The 
before you get to your heart, it's impossible to obey God and please Him. It's His heart. You know, this is an amazing thing to me about salvation. It's not that I need to do anything. Even my, my salvation is done by the cross of Jesus Christ and His grace and His atoning blood sacrifice that provides for my salvation. Then the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us at that moment of salvation. So our life, that abundant life that John 10, 10 talks about, is by living by the power of the Holy Spirit that does in us. We just turn loose. We'll put the fire of this flesh and turn loose of the flesh and let the Holy Spirit have control. Let a new heart take over our life. But you see, not only do we have that new heart, we have a new resident. Ephesians 3, 16 through 17 says, I pray that out of the, His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power from His Spirit in your inner being. That's the heart. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Some of the best theology that we can get sometimes comes through the hymns of the same. And since I was a child, I have appreciated the truth in the chorus of the great hymn, He Lives. Listen to this. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. You can't feel Jesus in your heart because you know He's there by faith. But in order to have the right kind of heart, you must understand that Jesus just doesn't just want to reside in your heart. He wants to rule in your heart. He came to live in your heart so He could be your Lord, your ruler. Look at the word resident and put a P in front of it and it becomes president. Jesus not only wants to be the royal resident of your heart, he desires and deserves to be president of your heart. I mean, you see what president in that terminology means? Boss. That's the problem with the church in America today. It's the reason the church in America is so anemic. We won't let Jesus be boss. I'm going to tell you a little statistic I read about six months ago that shocked me. 94%, and I can't remember this with Garner Research or Pew Research, both of very respectable research companies, Christian research companies, said that 94%, 94% of regular church attenders, that means people that come at least once a week, regular church attenders, 94% have never verbally shared their faith with anyone. That's you. You're not letting Jesus be present in your heart. Because Acts 1 tells us and commands us to be witnesses for the Lord. And then finally, the third word we see here is the mouth. Your words reveal your heart's overflow. We often say actions speak louder than words. This statement, your actions are so loud I can't hear a thing that you say. Oh, how true that is. So tell me this. Remember the old nurse around the East Coast sticks a stone and breaks my bones with words will never hurt me. But 
I did about saying somebody come up and slap me and talk behind my back. Please don't be offended by this next statement, but we're all full of it. Full of what? We're always full of something. For out of the utter flow of his heart, his mouth speaks, our Lord says here in this Most of us underestimate the awesome importance of the words we speak. In Matthew 12, 36-37, Jesus uttered this powerful warning against words. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You think about that. We, we, we talk about the great white wrong judgment. We don't talk about the judgment for us as believers. We're going to give an account of all of our actions and all of our words. And I can tell you this, I'm not looking forward to that. Even as believers here in Christ, eternally sealed in heaven, I'm not looking forward to having given an account of all my words and my actions. Be tough. The great news in it is I got his heart. This is true personality. It also becomes true of a nation. It's both a symptom and a cause of our national moral depravity. That crude profanity has become the norm the way it's speaking. We're not offended by crude language anymore. The F-bomb is dropped everywhere you turn in our society. 40, 50 years ago, someone had dropped the F-bomb and everybody in public would have, would have exercised some discipline though. And mamas and grandmas would have got out the bar so they washed out mouths. We've gotten used to crude, foul language. You know, they put four-second delays on live broadcasts now so they can bleep out dirty words. Now think about it. Every time a person utters a vow that's explicit, they're just revealing what's inside the heart. Every time you open your mouth, you're inviting people to look into your heart. What do they see? Do they see... Jesus Christ, your spouse and your children, and in that order. Then they hear you speaking about how much you love your wife, how much you love your husband, how much you love your children, how much you love the Lord, how much you love your church and your church family. Or did they hear us talking about non-sensible things? Do we spend more time talking about Georgia football than we do Jesus Christ? Well, listen, I love football. Love Georgia. Do we spend more time talking about football than we do Jesus? So this morning, as we finish, I want us to think about doing a personal fruit inspection. Number one, what kind of fruit comes from your leaf? What kind? If I could follow you around for 24 hours. And you didn't know I was there. What would I find? What would I learn about you? Now I really don't want to do that. Because I have this challenge every day guarding my own mouth. In my own heart. 
people are listening to what you say. Little ones are, praying, are paying a lot of attention to your words. Let me, let me just give you an example. My mom passed away Tuesday morning. And one of the things I love, uh, we, we had the visitation on Thursday night at their home church, our mine and Liam's home church where we were saved and baptized and we were there in the church and little three-year-old granddaughter Lois came up and she was sitting there with me. We'd been standing a couple hours and people began to out it. So we'd sit down. She came sit down by me and she just on us here to cast it to see my mom. And we told her, said, and she said, well, there's Meemaw. No, Maddie, that's just the body that Meemaw lived in. Meemaw's in heaven. Pop, that's Meemaw because I can see her. We did not convince that child until we told her that she had went to be with Papa in heaven where she had peace. You see those little ones watching everything we did. She knew there was something in that cancer. And I tell you, every time that we're about around or in town and our actions and the way we're speaking to people, there are little ones watching what we're doing. Teenagers, let me tell you something. You may think, well, I'm just a young person and, and, and I'm going to mess up, and that's true of all of us. We're going to sin and mess up every now and then. The Lord says we confess it. You'll forgive us of it. See, teenagers, you're the greatest witnesses to leave little ones within the church of anybody. They're watching everything you do. So what's coming from your mouths? I picked that one time. I was a young boy. Now understand, I came along as a child during the hippie days. So the teenagers that were over me were hippies. Well, I picked up a word from one of my first cousins that was eight or ten years older than me, and I came home and I shared it with my mom. <laughs> yes, I did get my mouth washed out with soap and threatened to an inch of my life. If I ever use that word again, she would take me out. <laughs> and now remember this. Jesus washed my mouth out. Not only did he wash our mouth, but other changed out of heart and cleaned our heart, and he used his precious blood to do it. What kind of fruit comes from the lips? Secondly, what am I feeding my heart? What am I feeding my heart, my mind, who I am, my soul? What am I feeding it? Jesus says that goodness comes from what's stored up in the heart. But the other side of that is evilness comes from what is stirred up, stored up inside the heart. It's like the axiom that says, garbage in, garbage out. What we put into ourselves is what's going to come out of us. So we allow filth and garbage and evil to be put into it. Oh, we kind of try to whitewash the grave sometimes we put on our Sunday and church meeting clothes and we grab hold of that person we're supposed to be and we come to church. Then we get home Sunday and we throw off the clothes and we throw off the self and we go out in there in the week and nobody can tell that we're Christian. And I think that's got to do with what comes in. I can tell you this, and I promise you this, with everything I know about being a Christian, 
If you're not having a daily time where you're reading your Bible and spending time in, in prayer with the Lord God Almighty, you're not putting good in. Pastor, I just can't seem to get it together. I can't seem to find the time. Well, get rid of some of the other garbage in your life so you can find time to spend with the Lord. Preacher, that's pretty bold. Yeah, it is, and I mean. Garbage in, garbage out. Good in, good out. Temptation comes again to put the word of the Lord into you. How do you know what you're supposed to do? It's possible to look nice and respectable on the outside, but have evil lurking within. In this sermon on the plain here, Jesus is talking to not only his disciples, but the hypocrites that come along. You know who the hypocrites were? The religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the people that were involved in the church, we call them hypocrites. And that word hypocrite is literally a transliteration from the Greek hypocrites, which literally means to perform in a play and perform two characters. Remember when they had the mask? And they would perform on stage with a mask. It literally means having two masks, putting one mask on speaking, taking it off, putting another mask on and speaking. That's what it means to be a hypocrite, changing masks. Ted Bundy. The book wrote about him called The Stranger Beside Me. And to most people, he appeared to be a bright, pleasant young man, but he possessed a wicked heart that led him to brutally murder at least 15 young women. Now, a few days before he was executed, Bundy ran in an interview with Dr. James Dobson, and Bundy admitted that he had, he had become hooked on pornography since he was a teenager. For years, he had been feeding his mind and heart to Romans. Paul talks about it in Romans 7, that we have two conflicting natures. Several years ago, a man described this struggle to his pastor. He said, it's as if there are two dogs. They're fighting within me. And they're constantly fighting. One dog is trying to lead me to do wrong, and the other dog is trying to lead me to do what's right. The pastor said, which dog wins the fight? And the man says, the one that I feed the most. I'll give you a clump of mud to eat today. What would you do? Can you honestly say this morning? 
that you are so full of Jesus that you're, it's just flowing. He's flowing out of it. Can you say to me, Pastor, this morning, there's never been a time I've been ever been closer to the Lord than right now at this moment. And if you say, no, there was a time I was closer to the Lord. Might be heartful. Jesus says that the fruit that we bear will show. You know, I ain't thinking about that but the fruit will show. See, the hat that we put on, that's kind of like leaves in the cover on the tree. You should take an apple tree. Those leaves are not fruit. For a Christian, you have to think about what does it mean to reproduce, to bear fruit for the Lord. And what I think that literally means is, is we're to go out and, and witness and see the Lord save people. And that's the fruit of our salvation. Just passing it on. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22 it says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That is not fruits. It's fruit. When you become a Christian, you have this fruit of the Spirit. But if you go on just a, a little bit more in that passage, it names nine, uh, there's nine beautiful fruits of the Spirit. Paul comes back along and he catalogs some wicked fruit. And he says this, those fruits include Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Then he lives the fruits of the evil one. This is those fruit of this I pray for all of us. That as we examine our lives, that we gather that we're living in the fruit of the Spirit. That we have love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and self-control, and faithfulness. Because our nation should it. Our world is it. Our world lives in its second place. Verses 19 and 21. Now pull your heart. What? fruit are you producing? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Is it the fruit of that list that Paul gives in verse 19 of Galatians? For a moment, we're going to see him for the invitation. If there's anything that you need to make public this morning, if you need to, need to have heart transplant this morning and ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, we will rejoice in God saving your soul. If you're a believer and can't be exposed to the Lord as you need to, maybe today is the day to dedicate your life to the Lord. I don't like the word rededication. We should be dedicated, point blank, period, dedicated to the Lord. Are you producing fruit? That's what, what it means when we're not producing food, folks, we backslid. We need to recommit ourselves to the Lord. You may be visiting this church family for a while and know this is place that you're supposed to join and help in ministry. May you just come up here and pray this morning. You can be an obedient to the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life. 
Let's pray, dear Lord. Thank you for the fruit that you've given us in a new heart. Now, Lord, may we bear the fruit that you've called us to bear. Primarily by being a witness to the glorious salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, if there are things this morning, Holy Spirit, that need to be made public, would you draw folks to make a stand here in front of this congregation this day? Of course, in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. <coughs>
to get this idea. Well, he didn't work about three hours a week uh, long. Uh, remember those times when you have an emergency in the middle of the night? You talk to that one. And, uh, and Matt, I love Matt. and not known Matt very long, uh, but he is one of those genuine brothers of the Lord, and I love him. So you pray for your pastor and his family as they're enjoying a little break this week. Thank you for...